All right, I, I, got, a, I got a picture here. If you know us, D and I are, are big WVU fans, okay? We met at WVU, grew up watching WVU, big WVU fans. And uh, <clears throat> we were watching a game a few years ago, and um, – I would like to tell you that that even as much as D is into it, like I, it's almost like a religion to me. You can, I, some some would call it idolatry. I got to watch. I, I got to pray sometimes and remind myself, especially after a loss when I'm just going to complete depression. That okay, maybe this means too much to me. Okay, I'll get upset. I'll yell at the TV. Uh, I'll pout around the rest of the day. My kids would say, "Daddy, what's wrong? Why are you crying?" You know, stuff like that. Okay. So one time, D and I are watching a recorded. WU game, and we're in the middle of it, and there's about three minutes to go, and we're down 10 points and not making anything, and the other team comes down, makes a three, makes us go down 13. Dee's like, oh, no, we're going to blow it, we're going to blow it. She's, she's yelling, and then she notices me sitting on the couch, just sitting there, just kind of calm. And she says, what's wrong with you? She said, we're getting killed. We're going to lose. This is like the biggest game. And then she, Paul, she says, you checked the score online, didn't you? You know what the score at the end of the game is. And I had to admit to her that, yeah, yeah, I did. I knew what the end, of the, the end score was going to be. I knew the WVU was going to end up winning the tournament. And so I wasn't panicked like she was. I wasn't like I usually was during a game because I actually knew the final outcome. Now, I didn't know who was going to miss a shot. I didn't know who was going to do a turnover. I didn't know who was going to make the big steal. So I, I was still able to sit back and watch the game develop. But I understood how the game was going to end. Therefore, it relieved for me any stress that I would usually have watching something live as if I didn't know the end of the game. I didn't act like me because she didn't know the end of the game. But I was calm because I did. And this is something I think we need to remember whenever things start happening in the world like what we're seeing right now is we know the final score of the game. Okay? We can never forget that. We know the final score of the game. Even though we don't know the exact details, we know in the long run Jesus is going to win and the devil is going to lose. The world's going to be okay. So that's the purpose of this of this sermon today is to give you peace and not to alarm you i'm actually going to be talking about the end times a little bit in the book of revelation i don't say this to alarm you or to scare you or anything like that i hope it'll calm us all down you know we can see just how people panic in our area i mean if you go over to walmart i mean i wish i would have bought stock in purell about two weeks ago i'd probably be a millionaire right now right uh, even if you go over to get a a roll of toilet paper, like everybody's going crazy over. they got to have toilet paper. I guess they're afraid that they'll get intestinal flu, even though I guess this COVID-19 is not really that. I don't, I don't know what the deal is on the toilet paper. But here's the thing to remember. When everybody else is going wild during the storm, just remember Jesus is in the boat with you. Don't, don't ever forget that. Jesus is in the boat with you. And as Christians, listen, because we know the final score, we shouldn't respond to adversity like everyone else. We should respond to adversity like we know what the final score is going to be. 
There's this promise, there's a promise that we get in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Because you have kept my word, this is written to the faithful church. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try, or some versions say, to test those who dwell on the earth. And there is a trial which is to come, this tribulation, this great tribulation that is going to come on the earth someday. Uh, but it is given for those not who don't already have faith, or not for those who already have faith, but for those who do, for those who dwell upon the earth. Hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys to do me a favor a little bit. This will help me. I asked them to do it, but they didn't do it. I guess they thought I was kidding. You guys spread out. We've got some people here. And, and like, I'm, I'm trying to keep on eye contact and look around, but, like, they're all sitting in one little clump, all right? So it really helped me, like, spread out. And uh, so I can look around and it'll look as normal as possible, okay? All right. So it says, uh, because you have kept my word to just patiently endure, this is what we do when we see the whole world going crazy. This is why, from this verse and a few others, I believe the church will not be present during the Great Tribulation. And so, honestly, a lot of what I'm sharing with you today, if you're pre-trib, listen, if you believe that the rapture is going to come before the seven-year tribulation on the earth, then you're going to miss all of this, okay? You're just watching the game. You'll be watching the game on TV. You won't actually be in the game. If you're mid-trib, if you believe that Jesus is going to come back and rapture his saints to heaven halfway through, in the middle of the tribulation, then you're going to miss the majority of what happens, or the worst part, okay, of what happens during the great tribulation. If you're post-trib, then you should be really sad today, because you will have to go through all this. But I, I tend to think that it's either going to be, we're going to be raptured at the beginning of the rapture, uh, at the beginning of the tribulation, or halfway through before it gets really really bad, okay? Um, nevertheless, we have these scriptures here to tell us about what the end times are going to look like, and I'm just going to give you a little snapshot of where we're going. Listen, what we're going through right now is not it, okay? Some people say, like, is this the end time? Is this how the world's going to end? It's not it. What we're going through right now is not what the book of Revelation describes. So I am going to describe a little bit to you what it is going to look like. And so if we are here for the first half of the tribulation, we can recognize those signs. But I tend to think we're going to miss it all. Okay? But there may be some listening today who don't know Jesus, who, who don't go to to be raptured with him and skip all the bad stuff. So they need to know this information as well. Okay. There are three major, there's an unholy Trinity that we see revealed throughout the end times uh, and throughout the scriptures. The first one is this, the great dragon that the scripture describes that ancient serpent talking about in Genesis three, the devil himself who's called the devil and Satan. He's the deceiver of the whole world. That's how he works. He's, he's a trickster. He's manipulative. He doesn't have a, that much spiritual power, uh, but he's got enough to deceive the nations. He was thrown down to the earth out of the heavens, and his angels, the demons, were thrown down with him. And those demons still roam the earth to this day. And when the church is raptured out, they're going to have a lot more power, and the Holy Spirit's not going to restrain them like he does in the present day. John sees later, he says, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, 
That's the second member. That beast is also referred to as the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the third member of the unholy trinity. Uh, that's a, the religious leader who works with the beast, the Antichrist, who is also a, a tool of Satan himself. And out of them will come three unclean spirits. It's a, a false message that's going to go out. But here, here's what I want you to see about this unholy trinity. In the end, the beast will be captured. And with that beast, the false prophet, so the Antichrist will be captured in Revelation 19 by Jesus, along with the false prophet, his religious leader, okay, who is present, who had done the seas by which the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. Now, I'm introducing a phrase here, this thing called the mark of the beast. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today here in just a moment, okay? But just remember that, that those who receive the mark of the beast and worship his image, those go together that worship the devil himself. What's going to happen to them? Well, the Antichrist and this false prophet are going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. They will be there forever. And then we see later in Revelation chapter 20, the devil himself, who had deceived the world, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. So that unholy trinity, they will all be cast in the lake of fire, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So I want to remind you again to give us that sense of peace. Let us never forget that when, it all, when the game ends and the final score is on the board, Satan is going to lose and Jesus is going to win. And because we already know, Jesus is already winning. Nothing has happened Nothing is happening without the sovereign will of God overseeing the entire process. Now, our key text for today is Revelation chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles there at home, if you're in the room today, you can turn to Revelation chapter 13. Okay? And it's going to give you a, a picture of, we already know who the devil is. He's talked about throughout all of Scripture. But during the time of the tribulation... The Antichrist is going to rise, and then you're going to have this false prophet, his number one preacher. They're going to be rising together in the middle of this tribulation. Okay? John gets this vision. He says, The beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. A loud roar. But let me say this. I'm going to go down through this whole chapter pretty much today. I'm not going to get into all the details like I did in the Revelation sermon a few years ago. If you want to look those up, you can. I just want to give you the big picture today. And to it, the dragon. Remember, who's the dragon? It's not a trick question. Who's the dragon? That's the devil, right? Satan himself. And to it, the beast, the Antichrist, that Satan gave his power and his throne and great authority. So the devil's given all his authority over to this, uh, to this beast, this Antichrist. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but his mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, it's a little bit of speculation, but this mortal wound means it appeared as though the beast was going to die, but then the beast was healed. Some would even say that the beast was raised to life, this Antichrist, and so it's this anti-picture of what Christ did, receiving a mortal wound, except Christ actually did die. In this case, I don't think the beast actually does, just appears to. Okay, and then it appears to come back to life and everybody's worshiping him. And a lot of people think that he actually is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. That's why we call him Antichrist. And they worship the dragon. So the world worships the devil during this time. For he had given his authority to the beast. 
And they worship the beast also. So they're worshiping the devil and they're worshiping the Antichrist. And they're saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Now, it doesn't say, and they said. It says, and they were saying. What does this mean? It's going on day after day, week after week, month after month. Everybody's saying, man, there's nobody like the beast. The greatest of all time. Nobody can stand up against the beast. That's how awesome the beast is. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And it opened in its mouth to utter blasphemy against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is heaven, and those who, uh, who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, this is, for those who were alive at the time who were believers, watch this. It was allowed, the beast was allowed. This is a key phrase. A lot of times people just read right over that. Don't ever forget that. Anything that happens on this earth only happens because God allows it. Don't ever forget that. As bad as things may seem, even what we're seeing right now, it is only happening because God allows it. And in this case, God is going to allow the beast to test those who get saved during the time of tribulation. And in some ways, he will conquer them. In other words, we'll read later that they're killed for their faith. They become martyrs and receive the martyr's crown when they go to heaven. And authority was given to the beast over every tribe and people and language and nation. He's ruling the whole world. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, except for one group. Now watch this. This is great news. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The only people, watch this, the only people who's, who are going to worship Satan during this time are those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life. Those who were never in the Lamb's book of life because the Lamb's book of life was written when? Before the foundation of the world. And so there's no, listen, I want, I want to give this to you as an assurity during this time that even if we are here for part of the tribulation or even all of it, no one who is truly saved is going to worship the devil. No one is going to fall away whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. This will only happen to those whose names are not written in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. It's not like you can do something in this life to erase your name out of that book. And then John continues with his vision. He saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon, spoke like the devil. And it exercises all the authority of the first beast, that is the Antichrist, in its presence. And makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. What's it saying? Here's the false prophet that we were reading about earlier who will lead the one world religion that worships the devil and the Antichrist. And this false prophet will cause all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slaved. Watch this. Here we're seeing it again. 
to be marked either on the right hand or on the forehead. Well, what's going to be the result of that? What's the purpose of that mark? It's so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, when we read this about a mark, what are we talking about here? Some of, some of you have seen like a fraternity marking that they would put on people back in the day. Like that's an example of it where they kind of brand people. And this is what the reference is to here in the book of Revelation is people get a brand. This word for mark is the word for a branding. Now, back in biblical times in the first century, not everybody wore a brand like this. There were only two classes of people who had to wear a brand. And the purpose of this brand was to let everybody else know who that person was owned by or who they served. Two classes of people. Slaves would have a brand back in the day, and they would put that on their hand so it, or their forehead so it would just be very obvious who these people belonged to, some kind of mark. It, here or there, that way you can't hide it when you go out in public. But there was another group that had a brand on themselves, and it was soldiers. This way you knew who was in the army, couldn't hide it. That way while you were fighting in the battlefield, if things were getting tougher, if people were going behind lines, they branded soldiers so you could see immediately who was on your team and who wasn't on your team. And this is what John is seeing. And then again, this is a first century writer looking forward thousands of years in the future. So I, I just think a lot of times the language he writes us, he's doing the best job he can of trying to describe things that are going to be happening 2,000 years from now. And this is what it says. Another angel, a third, follows after they get this mark of the beast. And it's said with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. This is a warning to everyone during this time, whatever you do, don't take the mark to show that you're a soldier of the devil or a slave to the beast. Don't do this. It says in Revelation chapter 16, this is what's going to happen. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. So everyone who's considered either a slave or a soldier during this time who bears that mark, they will be punished for taking that mark upon themselves. Now, this is why I share this with you again. I don't think we're going to be here, but this is something I think we need to watch. And the reason I'm preaching this sermon today, it wasn't what I had planned for March 15th. The reason I'm sharing it today is because I think just a little bit of what we've seen for these past couple weeks gives us just a glimpse of what the end times are actually going to be like. Just a glimpse. 
just a percentage of what it's going to be like. Let me tell you what I mean. A lot of times people say, man, there's no way that I would go out and get a mark on me so that I could buy or sell or trade. There's no way anybody could ever convince me to that. The Bible says they won't be able to buy or trade or sell unless you have that mark. This is what I was thinking about this week. If the world government shut everything down and quarantined everybody, and said that you had to get a vaccination to show that you don't have this disease that's spreading all over the world. And then you had to stay home until you had that vaccination. You weren't allowed to go out and no one was allowed to be in contact with you. In order for you to go out, so everyone can obviously see that you've been inoculated and you're not a carrier of this virus, we're going to give you a symbol on your hand or on your forehead. And unless you have that symbol or here or here, you will be putting other people in danger. So you're going to have to stay at home. Now, my question to you is this. How many people you think are going to get inoculated to that disease that's spreading all over the world and then take whatever mark they have to take so that they are allowed to leave their homes and go and provide and buy food for their families. I mean, if you were in that situation in the, in the future, where they said, if you don't bear this mark, you can just stay home and starve to death because we're not going to let you put everybody else's life at risk. What would you do? What decisions would you make? Because to be honest with you, this is a big reason why I think the church will be taken out of that. Because if we think about it, how many of you right now, if you were faced with the decision of taking this mark or watching your family starve, how many of you would stay home and let your family starve? If that was the requirement the government gave you. See, this is what I'm sharing with you. It's not nearly that big of a panic mode now, but someday it will be. And you know as well as I do, almost all the world's population will say, give me whatever mark you've got to give me so that I can show that I am loyal to the government. I'm obeying whatever its dictates are so that I can have what my family needs to survive. And my friends, that day is going to come when the people of the world are going to be asked to bear that mark. But Paul also bore a mark. Let me show you a little comment that he made in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. He's contrasting himself to the marks of the slaves and the soldiers of the Roman army. He says, but from now on, that no one calls me trouble. Here's why. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This is from a Greek word for stigmata. This is a sign that I belong, that I am a slave, that I am a soldier for Jesus. This is something for all of us to remember. He wrote this long before there was any mark of the beast or anything like that. He is reminded the people, like, you all know who the slaves are by what mark they wear. You all know who the soldiers are by what mark they wear. But I'm here to tell you, and he writes and uses this metaphor over and over again. Paul would say, I am a bond servant of Jesus. 
I am a slave to the cross. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord, and I don't fight at my own expense. When Paul uses this language, he is communicating to everyone in that culture, I belong to Christ and to Christ alone. I am not of my own. I belong to him, and I bear his mark. And this is something that the church has to remember. During crazy times like these, is we belong to Christ and we don't respond to tragedy or fearful events in the way the rest of the world does because we march to different orders than everyone else. They should ne- the world should never see Christians panicking in a moment such as this. If there's anyone out there, I'm not saying that we ignore what science tells us to do. I'm not saying that that we shouldn't be precautious in the the way that we uh, take precautions and the way that we react and relate to other people. But what I'm saying is we don't do it in fear. We don't run around like we're worried it's the end of the world. Because listen, for Christians, the end of the world is a good thing. We actually look forward to when that time comes. I know it's difficult when we go through these difficult times, but as Christians, we don't respond like the rest of the world does because we know that everything that has happened is only happening because God is allowing it for his glory and his good. Now, at the beginning of the tribulation, this is what it's going to look like. There's going to be there's first, second, third field. There's going to be wars and famines that break out. And then there will be a fourth seal that is opened. And the fourth spirit says, come. It says, and I looked and behold, there's a pale horse. And its rider was named Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, a quarter of the world's population, to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence. There's going to be disease. There's going to be war. There's going to be not enough food to go around. This is what it's going to look like in the end times. Now, here's what I want you to see. When things like what we see happening right now start going, people say, man, this could get really bad. Millions of people could die. I I want to put it just into a little bit of perspective. Again, I didn't come here today to add to the fear. I'm coming here today to take it away. Just to give us a little bit of perspective. When the Bible says that 25% of the earth population is going to wipe out, even if this went into effect today with about 8 billion people on the planet, that means approximately 2 billion people are going to die as a result of this famine and all this, these plagues that break forth throughout the entire world. 2 billion people. Now, just to put it in context, one of the worst flus, plagues that we've ever seen in the history of the world was the 1918 Spanish flu. I remember my uh, my grandfather told me about this. It went from 18 and started uh, going away at the end of 1920. It was going on at the end of World War One, And a lot of people during that time were wondering, is this the end? During that time, listen, 100 million people died with the Spanish flu. But as bad as that was, as much panic that ensued because of the Spanish flu that was wiping out huge chunks of population throughout the world, even that, as bad as it was, is only 5% of what is to come. To say it again another way, 
with this COVID-19 virus. I just checked it this morning before I came down here at, at 11 o'clock. Right now, 6,075 people have died. That is 0 .00, less than 0.0001% of what this is going to look like. So when people are talking about this, I know this number is going to get higher. I know that it's going to get worse. And it's not that I'm not taking it seriously. But if this is the number or anything close to that, even if this is the number, it's not the end times. We haven't missed the rapture. The world's not coming to the end. Two billion people aren't going to die from this flu. Okay? This is how Christians need to respond when things start going haywire around the world. The prophet Isaiah writes this. Memorize these verses if you deal with fear and anxiety. They'll help you. But now thus saith the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. It's the number one command in all of the Bible. Do not be afraid. Now, I want you to look at what this verse says. It says, do not be afraid. Why? Well, it's going to give us the answer why. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, fear not, because nothing is ever going to happen to you. He doesn't say, fear not, because you're never going to get sick. Fear not, because the world's not going to go into total chaos. Our basis for having no fear has nothing to do with what is going on in the world around us. Our basis for having no fear is based on the redemption of God, our salvation. We don't live in fear. Why? Because God called us by name. We belong to him. You are the possession. You bear the marks of Jesus. You have been redeemed by his name. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And so that when all the rest of the world starts panicking, the one truth we have, the one foundation, if what you value the most is what Jesus values the most, which is the souls of yourself and your loved ones, listen, we don't fear at what comes our way because ultimately we know what our destiny is. We know the score of the end of the game. Jesus wins and the devil doesn't. So fear not. There's a missed shot here. There's a turnover there. Don't panic like the person that doesn't know the score of the end of the game. So then Isaiah continues. When you pass through the waters... Now, that's a trial. He doesn't say if you pass through the waters, if you go through troubled times. He says when. It's going to happen. But the reason we fear not is because Jesus passes with us during those trials. When you go through the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm you. I just got to gotta ask a question of you. Do you feel overwhelmed by what's going on in our country right now? I mean, if you look at Twitter feeds, Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, every time a new virus uh, victim shows up, right, every time somebody tests positive, then everybody's like, oh, it's in Kentucky. Oh, it's in Ohio. 
Oh, it's in Virginia. Oh, it's in North Carolina. I mean, it's everybody. It, it's constantly, it's coming, it's coming. You know, West Virginians are standing at the Ohio River, like telling Ohio and stay out, right? I mean, we're in, what does it say? Don't get overwhelmed. This is not going to overwhelm you. Listen, even when you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. You're going to be okay. We have God's promise on this. Listen, the flame shall not consume you. Man, listen, so many people are consumed by what's going on right now. They're watching Fox News. Let me tell you what, I can watch Fox News for the 20, next four, 24 hours, CNN, what other, uh, other fake news channel you want to watch, listen, that just whips up all the frenzy or whatever. I can watch it all I want. Is that going to stop the spread of this by me watching TV, by me listening to radio, by me getting on social media and watching everybody else free? No. I mean, I'm going to go read a book. The family's going to sit down and watch a movie. We're going to go out and go for a walk together. Now, are we going to go around and lick fence posts, right? <laughs> are, are, are we going to go share bottles of water? We joked before the, uh, the service today, or are we going to, like, pass around? I had a bottle of water. Like, are we all going to pass it around, everybody in the worship team, and have a drink? No, we're not going to be stupid. But listen, this flame is not going to consume us. It's not going to wipe us out. Now, if you're listening and say, oh, good, that means God's promise and I will not get this flu. No, that might be your fire. But even if you go through that fire, what does God promise? I will be with you. My presence will be among you. Um, I, I found an article in a, a book I read many years ago, and it's about the plagues that hit the Roman Empire during the first and second century while Christianity was still illegal and they were meeting underground. Um, two major plagues hit the church during those early years. And I want to read you this excerpt from uh, Joseph Stoll's uh, book called The Trouble with Jesus. It said two epidemics helped Christianity expand its reach. I want you to think about that. The two things that caused the church to grow the most during the first and second century were two epidemics, not just pandemics, epidemics. It was everywhere. Listen to what he writes. The first took place in the second century and was known as the plague of Galen. It claimed the lives of perhaps a quarter to a third of the Roman Empire's citizens. A century later, another terrible epidemic killed as many as 5,000 people a day. Any pagan who could leave town when major epidemics struck, they quickly did so. They ran. This was, after all, an age that had little understanding of the origin of disease but understood very well the wisdom of putting as much di distance as possible between oneself and their stricken neighbors. The terror that epidemics unleashed 
was but indescribable. Dionysus, Bishop of Alexandria, paints a heart-rending picture of the resulting stampede of people leaving their villages. He writes, The pagans pushed the sufferers away and fled from their disease, fled from their dearest, throwing their own families into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, all hoping to thereby avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease, but do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. The Christian's response was different from their neighbors. They tended to stand fast, both in the cities and in the countryside. And they stayed and they nursed the stricken. They provided food, water, and basic sanitation, even though it was not enough to save all of the disease by any means. And this action cost many Christians their lives. Dionysus wrote later of their sacrifices in his Easter sermon. He said, most of our brother Christians showed up in unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, only thinking of one another. Heedless of any danger, they took charge of the sick. They attended their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, many of these Christians departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Now this left a number, Stoll writes, this left a number of surviving pagans in an interesting situation. Many who had succumbed to the virus and survived knew they owed their very lives to their Christian nurses. But they also had a deeper matter to consider. How was it that these Christians were able to survive in greater numbers than anyone else? He writes, did Christianity enjoy an endorsement from on high? The questions that the pagans were asking as they would return to Rome is why when everyone else went into panic mode and even abandoned their own families, why did these Christians who didn't even know us tend to us in the climax of this plague that had struck the earth? And the answer is this. They knew the score of the end of the game. My brothers and sisters, the Lord's giving us an opportunity here right now with what's going on in the world around us to show that our hope is not in the medical advances of this world, but in the blood of Christ who forgave us of our sins and empowers us to overcome the fear that everyone else faces. Yes, we still need to be wise. And I want to share these things with you. First of all, this. For those who are at high risk, 
And this is why we have very few people at the service today. For those who are at high risk, especially for those who are elderly, I, I read this week that one in seven people who are over 70 who contract this virus are passing away. So I would strongly encourage those who are over 70, it's not that you're, you're not showing enough faith in Jesus, but I would encourage you to be wise, stay home. But then I want to move to the second one. Listen, for those with lower risk, we still need to be wise, but we also need to be compassionate. And this is where I think that as a church, we have an opportunity to show who we really are right now. Just like the plagues of the first and second century in Rome, this is an opportunity to show the world that our hope is greater than what the world has. For those of us with Christ, this is a time for us to be strong and courageous, as is every opportunity for fear presents an opportunity to be strong and courageous. There are three things that I want us to do as a church family until the, the, the quarantine lifts, until kids go back to school. This is what I want us to do. We're not largely going to be meeting in our small groups, but every Wednesday night, we're going to have our staff, people from this church, get together and go on Facebook Live. And there, where you can do your comment in the comment section, we're going to have Wednesday night prayer meeting, just like they used to have. We're just going to encourage everybody online. You encourage every, all your friends to join anywhere around the world that wants to, to get on this Wednesday night prayer service with First Baptist Canova, Facebook, live online. We're going to get on there and we're going to pray for what's going on in the world around us. Not just that the physical sickness goes away, but that God would use this physical sickness somehow to address people's spiritual sickness. The people will start asking questions that they haven't asked before as their mortality is staring them right in the face. Is there any more to this world than just life and death? Is there any more to life than life? And so we'll pray about that every Wednesday night until it's time for our small groups to meet together again as our elders decide. Secondly, I want to say this, and the the people that are watching online aren't going to get this. So what I need you to do if you are watching online, listen, I need you to help communicate, make phone calls to people who may not have online access. And this thing, we don't want them to be isolated. I don't have the answers to how we're going to do this. But if people have no online access or ability to do podcasts or get on their phone, this is where we as a church have to especially make sure that our elderly have access to community like the rest of us do. What does that mean? That means that some of us are going to have to take a really good shower, scrub up really well, go over to some elderly person's house, and, and try to figure out a way how can we get them access to church sermons? How can we make sure that they're involved and not isolated from the world around us? Help me do that, church family. Talk to those in your family, grandparents, great-grandparents. What can we do to help you stay connected and at the same time to lovingly communicate to listen for those who are at high risk? Let, let me say this. I'm going to look directly into the camera. Let me say this. Allow our church to be the church. 
allow us the blessing of being able to serve you. Uh, listen, I've got over 150 people who've written me who said, I want to help any elderly person who needs to stay at home right now. I've got people lined up out the door to help you if you would just allow them to help you and bring you what you need. Just contact us, contact your deacons. Let us help you and receive the blessing from Jesus that comes from that. Listen, if you don't let us help you, then you're robbing us of a blessing. You hear what I'm saying? Because I know, man, we're in West Virginia. This is West by God, Virginia, right? Okay. And we're very individualistic and we're strong and we're courageous. And by golly, we don't need anybody else. We don't need anybody's help. Listen, right now is not the time for you to go out in crowds. Let us have the blessing of helping you. Listen, even if you think, if you're over 70 and you think it's okay for you to go out, just humor us and let us come and help you. Okay. Let us, it'll make us feel better about ourselves. All right. If you would just say something, you say, you know what? I feel fine going out. I'm not afraid to go out. That's fine. I'm glad you feel that way. Make up some reason that we have to at least bring you a Snickers bar or something like I need help. Somebody bring me a Snickers. We'll have 20 people lined up wanting to help you. Okay. I beg you, let us help you. Let us receive that blessing. Okay, we want to bring you food with whatever prescriptions you need. Man, we've got a list a mile long. Let us help you. For the rest of us that are lower risk, man, thank you for the huge response that we've received, not only from Ashland and HCC and this congregation, people even from outside this church say, I want to be a part of helping those who are at most risk during this COVID-19 uh, situation that we're facing right now. Amen. Okay, I'll close with this last thought. Don't forget Jesus is on the throne. And the reason that we can have boldness and the reason we can have faith is because no matter what comes our way, we know that we've been forgiven and our ultimate destination is heaven. But there, be, there may be, that's why I have to end with this, there may be those who are watching online 